Welcome to the prolific teaching ministry of Pastor Emmanuel Iren, lead pastor of Celebration Church International. It is his vision to partner with you for your progress and joy in the faith. Ready, set, grow. Glory be to God. I have very few minutes to share so many things with you, so I'll try my best to be as fast as possible. So I'm going to be moving with the speed of light, um, and I want you to do your best to follow me. You see, years ago I was studying the teaching ministry of Jesus, and it blessed me. There is an approach Jesus had to teaching. I call it scenario preaching, and this is it. In scenario preaching, you don't assume that the people you are talking to know how to apply what you are saying. You don't assume. You tell them how to apply. So it is one thing to say forgive. It is another thing to bring it into context and you say, for instance, when you bring your sacrifice to the temple and there you remember that someone has ought against you, drop that sacrifice and go first and make peace. Don't assume that people know that sacrifice, uh, that, that, that forgiveness and devotion, you know, go hand in hand. Don't assume that people know that they are not meant to go on in their devotion while nursing beef in their heart. Don't assume. You bring it into scenarios. And when I look at the body of Christ, how that there's a lot of information and very little application, it seems as if that is something that we need to emphasize. Because just like uh, anyone who schools in Nigeria knows, you can learn 100 things in school and only apply one. So it's almost as if you keep hearing forgive, forgive, forgive. You keep hearing love, love, love. And no one has told you in clear terms what love is. What forgiveness entails. What submission is. You know, I was talking to some great men of God. I sat on a table with many of them and I asked a question. I said, when the Bible says... Wives, submit to your own husbands. What does it mean? And you could tell that they had been wondering too. So, I mean, there was a long, long, long silence. And so I just realized we can be emphasizing things that we have not even broken down. Meanwhile, the Bible expects us to be doers of the word, not hearers alone. You know, to be a doer of the word, I've likened it before to the injector of a car. And what does an injector do? An injector has the responsibility to receive fuel from the tank and to supply it to the engine so that combustion can take place and the car can actually move. So we must take what we know from the word of God and use it because it's for doing. Say loud amen. amen. Come on, I said it's for doing. Do you believe that? You know, and so we want to really unpack this subject of love. I know we think we know it but I want to talk on love semantics. And semantics simply means meaning or definition. So we're going to define love. So by love semantics, we are referring to the definition of love. Because love must be defined. Love must be explained or properly discerned. Let's be honest. We don't know love as much as we think we do. We don't love as much as we think we do. How many of you were so sure years ago 
that you were in love. Remember one of your exes? Each time you closed your eyelids, you saw her image or his image, you know, and every single love song you heard seemed like it was telling your love story. Every time you walked on the street, it was like you were floating and all the colors in the world were exaggerated. You know, everything was colorful and bright and just beautiful and it ended in tears. And so my honest question to you this morning is, how many breakfasts do you have to be served for you to finally realize that you have a lot to learn about love? Love is one subject we are always presumptuous about. In fact, you know, the mere concept of learning about love, you know, we revolt to it because we think it will affect the flow, the butterflies. We want to be carried by the waves of love. We just, we think it should happen to us and that you fall in love. No, love is not an accident. It's not an injury. <laughs> you know, love is very intentional. And the reason why love must be defined is because it has many lookalikes. Like lust, like infatuation, like childhood fantasies. They have the same height. They dress alike. Love looks like all these things, but it's not all these things. And you, you must have the training and the skill to see beneath the surface and tell when lust is disguising or infatuation is disguising. You must have that discernment. It's a skill. To paint this picture, I want to start with a story that people hardly use, you know, for some reason. You hardly hear this story, but um, in 1 Kings chapter 3, one of the first challenges that Solomon had to face was this interesting story about two harlots. And for some reason, these harlots got pregnant, you know, and, and about the same time, and had children just weeks apart, few weeks apart. And one night, one of the harlots was sleeping, rolled over a baby, and suffocated the baby to death. She woke up terrified at what she had done. Then she went to, by the way, I think both of them were horrible wives <laughs> or horrible mothers, went to the bed of this other woman, and stole her living baby and replaced that living baby with her dead child. So this other woman woke up the next morning to find a dead child beside, beside her. Thinking it was a child, she began to scream, you know, and to cry. But upon examination, she realized this is not her baby. And she began to accuse this other lady, you stole my baby. And there was, I mean, uh, they began to argue and they found themselves in front of Solomon. Now, put yourself in Solomon's shoes. Two women are having a hot dispute, both of them pretending to be interested in this child, pretending to be in love with this child, like they are ready to, you know, embrace the responsibilities that comes with motherhood. Oh, two women in love with this baby. This boat looks, it looks like love both ways. Both of them are screaming, both of them are arguing, both of them are determined. And the next minute, Solomon says, soldier, bring your sword. Divide this baby into two and give them each half. And then all of a sudden, one of the women says, yes, divide the baby. And the other one says, no, 
I would rather you have the baby than the baby dies. Isn't that the picture of love? Some of you, your ex, you know, <laughs> looks like this story. I mean, one moment, they won't even allow your, your leg to touch the floor. They are pampering you. And the next moment, he's a monster. Or she's a monster. You're wondering, how can you move from fighting for custody to endorsing the death of the child? This is the thing about infatuation. It looks like love. It's as determined as love. It's as promising as love. But it takes proper discernment to see that it all ends in the surface. This is why love needs to be taught. I don't think there has ever been a generation where love needs to be discerned as much as this. Turn your Bibles, 1 Corinthians 13. So in 1 Corinthians 13, chapter from verse 1, you see the semantics of love. Love is defined for avoidance of doubt so that you don't think it is this and it is the other. And this really has to be studied. Verse 1 is very instructive, especially for some of you. It says, For though I speak with tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am become a sounding brass and a clanging cymbal. Meaning love can pretend to be religious and be wicked. Listen to me, brothers and sisters in church. Just because you met the person in church doesn't mean the person is spiritual. And all the religious calisthenics can be mimicked with precision, but what you are hearing and seeing is a clanging cymbal. And some of you make that mistake. You just meet someone in church, engage the, relation, engage the person in a relationship, no leader in church knows about it. Your pastor doesn't know about it until there's a problem. Then the person broke up with you. You now want to tell me, no. No, 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 no. Enjoy your anonymity. <laughs> Enjoy it. Okay, what do you want me to do? I should beg the person. And you see, that's what accountability is supposed to do for you. You don't know the person's history. You don't know maybe we're still, you know, we can't pursue the person from the church, but we are still praying for the person. You don't know if you're number eight. <laughs> it is only in rare situations where we say, you must never come to this church again. Only in rare situations. So if someone has a lot of baggage, what do you want us to do? And so don't just assume, you see, the church is not just a school, it's a hospital. And so the person by your side may need a lot of help. That's why accountability is. You don't know someone from Adam. You see the person by your side because the person is ro, ro, ro. You say, ah, spouse. You know, some of us choose. <laughs> you say spouse, spouse, spouse. Interpretation of tongues, right? <laughs> Clanging symbol. There can be a lot of religious demonstration and the person doesn't know the beginning of the subject of love. Never mistake that. Look at verse 2. Oh, this is so important. It says, And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have faith so I can move mountains, 
but have not love, I am nothing. You see, many of us don't really understand supernatural gifts. It's a gift. It's a gift. It doesn't mean the person is mature. Are you, are you listening to me? Listen, even a donkey has spoken before. Did you hear what I said? The Bible bears witness that if the anointing comes on a donkey, the donkey will talk. So don't, because someone prophesied, he always has a word for you after service. Sister, the Lord is telling me. Because of that, you just rushed. And you marry a donkey. A donkey with prophetic gifts. Don't take my word for it. It's just right there. You know, some of us choose spouses as if we are starting church. He can pray. Uh -huh. And so, start a prayer group. Don't make him a husband. Make him a prayer partner. I'm just saying there has to be more. Are you, are you listening to me? You have to have enough discernment to see through the surface. It's good. It's a good starting point that you can pray that you are born again. Or you claim to be. Verse 3, ah, when I observed verse 3 critically years ago, it changed my life. This is, this is the part. All right, so we're talking about, what's the topic again? All right, now, verse 3. Everybody read verse 3 together. One, two, go. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my very body to be burnt, but have no love, it profits me not. Hey, 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 everything the media told us about love is in the mud right now. You mean I can be so generous and still so selfish? I know it seems like an oxymoron, a contradiction, but it's true. We have defined selfishness wrong. We think a selfish person will, will not give. You are wrong. A selfish person will give all he has for a greater agenda. So that's why you are wondering, ah, at the talking stage, he would drive me to the island, <laughs> drop me at work, drive home. Then in the afternoon, drive back to pick me. Then now he won't pick my car. I want to get here. You don't, you don't understand. <laughs> you don't understand. A selfish person will climb seven mountains, cross seven oceans to get what he wants. Then when he gets it, You get it? <laughs> you, you, you have to be discerning. So listen, love is generous. Make no mistake. But lust can be also. So you need more discernment. You, you cannot just judge by generosity because he says, I can bestow all my goods to give the poor. This is the scam that we fall for in this country with politicians. Because the fact that someone is giving food to the masses doesn't mean he cares about the masses. He's doing that because there is a greater good. Supposedly, he will still finish you in front. I, I think you are getting it now. And then he says, even his very body, you can give your very body to be burnt and not be walking in love. It turns out love is more than an action, it's a motive. The motive must be discerned. 
And so now he begins to clarify. What is the first thing he mentions in verse 4? Everybody, the first thing he says is this. One, two, go. Love suffers long. So now this is the difference. If a selfish person can be generous, if a selfish person can give his own body to be burnt, and in love there is generosity and sacrifice, how do I differentiate? Time. Time. Love suffers long. Listen to me. You can't tell he loves you after one date. Are you? Listen, I know some of you will not still hear, <laughs> but it's my job as a pastor to still tell you. You can't tell after one date. Because love and lust have the same symptoms. It could be COVID, it could be COVID. I, I didn't preach it. Okay. I'm trying. Okay. <laughs> listen. It says love suffers long. So mean it. Listen. Nothing reveals character like time. Give it time. This is why no matter what anybody says, don't allow pressure. Make you pick someone without discerning properly. It takes time. It takes time. Take your time. Watch well. There are good pretenders out there. But after a while, the true character must show. Ah, ah. Just watch well. Love suffers long. Learn to take your time. One date is not enough. And for God's sake, don't put yourself under pressure. Don't, don't be swept off your feet yet. Still watch. Wise up. After two dates, you are already wearing matching colors. I show a bit to chop. What is wrong with you? You be, ah. You wearing, after two dates, my view is view. Yeah, you are in trouble, oh. What view? For my friend, focus. <laughs> it takes love suffers long. Praise the Lord. And that's why one brilliant thing to do is this. What other enduring relationship do you have? So th those are part of the questions. Okay, so ask first date questions. So how's your mom? How, what's your relationship with your mom? Uh, we're not really close like that. What about your dad? Uh, who are your friends? How does this guy we just met? But... What long relationship do you have? Because some, this, is, this is part of the deception of infatuation. You think you are special. He's taking you out on a date. He's treating everybody wrong, but treating you nice. But you think you are special, that he will continue to, um, I'm special. He would talk anyhow to the waitress, talk anyhow to the gate man, but you are special. <laughs> That's a prophecy. You are seeing yourself in the next few weeks. <laughs> That's you. Few weeks from now. We shout on the waiter. I said, my dear, don't mind them. Ah! <laughs> Which leads me to the next one. Love is kind. Love is kind. And it takes time to know that someone is kind. There is a difference between weather and climate. <laughs> weather, 
weather can change. <laughs> climate, it takes, do you understand? You descend climate after a long time. Anybody can pretend to be kind. The Bible says even Satan appears as an angel of light. He won't come with horn. He always comes with good advice. Did God say you should not eat of the tree? <laughs> That's why you, you, you need to be wise. Take your time and watch. And then it says love does not envy. African men, say that women want to go. <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't know. There's just something about... Listen, and it works vice versa, all right? I'm not saying that there aren't ladies who are envious, but somehow it just seems as if we feel... I've heard people even joke about it. I know you desire to have more money. But do, once competition has entered that relationship, Satan has entered. I'm telling you. And these things are secret battles. Deal with it. Please, are you listening to me? Deal with it. And be wise. Is it, now, so school fees, they hungry you. You don't want help. Allow her blow. <laughs> it's not bad if she buys your car once in a while. Amen. Amen. Chop each other's money. Chop. I chop my own, I chop your own. You just, I love his sweets. <laughs> Allow her. Eh? If she becomes president, resign immediately. Resign. Become the honorable first husband of the federation. You will, you will beat the kids, you will take, talk them in bed, sing them lullaby. Are, are you joking? <laughs> Hallelujah. Anyway, we're going to come to that. There's a lot to talk about. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to rope the next three together for time's sake. It says, love does not parade itself. Love is not puffed up. Go to the next verse. And love does not behave rudely. I, the reason I'm roping these three is because, I mean, these three happen many times when we're angry, when we're pushed to the wall. Then we'll become rude then we become puffed up. You know, has it ever happened that someone gave you something supposedly from his or her heart, then when you people fought, the person now brings it up, did I not do this for you? You're not like, bro, seriously? Love is not puffed up. Love is not rude. Let me tell you something. One of the few things you must learn early as you enter into a relationship or a marriage, as a guy, is this. Guys are very fickle with words. We just say it's part of the moment. We just say it's to win an argument. We just say it to hurt the other person, just to win. Because, you know, if it's guy to guy, we'll just, after everything, guy, okay, eh, you know, I was joking now. But ladies, they don't forget, oh. <laughs> Am I saying the truth or not? Listen, you know you are growing in love when you only say what you mean. Only say what you mean. This is important. Both guys and girls. No matter how I'm pushed to the wall, no matter the side of the bed I wake up, I will only say what I mean. No matter the time of the month, I will only 
Hallelujah. Because listen, listen, fruit of the Spirit work every time. They work all every time. Work every time. Well, during labor, not so much, but <laughs> mostly every time. <laughs> you know, when Nadia was coming, my wife was holding my hand, you know. She was squeezing it. I did talk. Ah, you know. And then to relieve herself, she wanted to bite me. Ah, I said, don't bite me, don't bite me. <laughs> Remaining small. Excuse me, ma. Okay, we're streaming, Abby. Okay. All right. And then, I have a lot to share here, but, well, listen, look at verse 7 because of time. Verse 7. Everybody read together one to go. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. This is love. This is love. Love is not always looking for an escape. Any small query. I'm not doing it again. I'm not doing it again. You have, in three months, you have broken up four times. Eh? You're saying, are there no relationships like that? Any small, you think, I don't like the way you greeted me. You said good morning, but the G was silent. I'm not doing it again. Listen, this is not a game. Hallelujah. So, in Bible love, you have to learn to be constant. Please, are you listening to me? And that's why you have to understand the, the concept of falling in love is a myth. Love is too serious for you to fall inside. You can't, you can't fall on the cross and mistakenly die for someone. You can't. Love is too intentional. Even Jesus almost changed his mind. <laughs> he said, if it's possible. <laughs> I know you don't like to think about it. But Jesus said, is there no way, any way out? <laughs> That's love. How do you fall inside that type of love? Eh? It's too serious for that, too intentional for that. Say loud, amen. amen. So now, here you now see the disconnect between the cultural lenses with which we see love and God's lens. You see, I was reading a research paper on the common barriers in communication. I wish I had a lo a a enough time to talk about this. I think I'm going to do a YouTube live to talk about conflict resolution. It's another aspect of semantics that we need to address. You can tell a couple, you know, not to fight, to always walk in love, you know, but if Christians don't know what to do when there's conflict, they'll keep fighting. Some people don't really just know what to do. Subconsciously, they're always throwing fuel in fire. They don't, they, have you seen people that they just know how to escalate things? The way they talk. <laughs> so it's, it's a skill to be learned. How to step back, assess the situation, you know, let some things lie. Let some, see, let me, let me give you an advice. As a man, yeah, pick your battles. <laughs> Don't, there are more important things, you know, to say no to. And this, 
I don't like the color of the room. Okay, change it. Save yourself. Some of you don't understand what I'm saying. You will need this advice in future. Just remember. Ah, why can't we? Anything that, is, that, that you can let go, let go. Do you understand what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Anyway, but let's move on. So, but hey, the research paper just talks about a common barrier to communication. And the common barrier, one of the, amongst the many things that was mentioned, was semantics, which is what I'm trying to share with you. Communication is so powerful. If you don't handle it well, it can go south. You know, I read a story. It's not my business if it really happened or not. It's nice. An Oriental was going to meet the president of the, of the United States, who by the time, um, at that time was um, Barack Obama. So, well, he said, I don't speak English, but it would be nice at least to learn a few sentences just, you know, to, as an icebreaker. So they said, okay, say this with me. How are you? And then he would say, fine. And then you would say, me too. But well, it was a long flight in his defense. By the time he got there, saw Barack Obama, he said, who are you? You know, so Barack just laughed and said, I'm Michelle's husband. And he said, me too. <laughs> and that's how powerful. You see, sometimes you hear countries are at war, you don't know what happened. <laughs> the media can't tell you what really happened. I'm just playing. But listen, when it comes to semantics, what, this is what it means. It means for us to be able to talk about any subject, we must first and foremost have the same definition of that subject. The same definition. So when God says love, what you think of might be the image that the media has created in your mind. But God is talking about something else. And so even if you are reading love, you are seeing something else from what God... Listen, it's a barrier... To even Bible knowledge. So, if you don't understand the KJV language, and it says evil communication corrupts good manners. What is communication in our modern day language? It means something else. But what did the Bible mean? Association. So imagine if you didn't know that, and you go there and you read evil communication corrupts good manners, you would think if you say hi to someone who is not a Christian, your good manners is corrupted. So, you have to get the semantics right. What does he mean by communication? What does he mean by love? What does he mean by submission? We have to be sure that we're on the same page. Because first and foremost, when many people see submission, the S word, <laughs> it's like a curse word now. You know, When people see submission, they think about the excesses of the tyrannical you know, examples we have in the African marriage setting. And so they revolt. Why is God asking me to submit? Why would he ask me to do this? So we need to even know what God is talking about to begin with. There's an illustration I gave in the first service. I want to be as fast as possible. Can I have four people, second row? Just four people, any four people. Come quickly, we don't have time. Or let, for time's sake, let me just have two. You come, you in a blue shirt, and you, you also come. Now, um, I want you to tell me 
the meaning, wrong answers only, wrong answers only, of USA. So just think of a wrong answer. I'll ask you later. I want you to tell me the meaning of um, ATM, wrong answers, wrong answers only, all right? I want two other people, John, please come, and you by his side. Both of you come quickly. Now, make a sentence with USA. That shouldn't take time. USA. All right, so I'm traveling to the United States of America tomorrow. No, no, no. Don't say the meaning. Just say USA. Sorry. I'm traveling to the USA tomorrow. All right. Make a sentence with ATM. I need to get my ATM card. Okay. I'll take that. So, what's your wrong answer? What's, tell us, what's the meaning of, what did I ask you to? ATM, sir. Let me start with USA. So, what's the meaning of USA? Um, user sentence answer. User sentence answer. <laughs> okay. So, now, imagine you truly believed that that's the meaning of USA. Benefit of the doubt in your village. That's, that's what it means. Now, you meet this young man. Say what you said. I'm traveling to the USA tomorrow. What's USA? Use that sentence answer. So, what you hear is, I'm traveling to user sentence answer tomorrow, and your head is exploding. What does that mean? It doesn't mean anything to you. Thank you very much. So, that's how semantics works. Because, so, when you go to the Bible, and you read, wives submit to your husband, you think of that distant auntie that was constantly abused by her husband, but refused to go because what will people say? You think about that man that subjugated his wife, took away her shine, was constantly insecure of her gifts, silenced her. You think of all the weird, you know, men you've seen outside who just think women are superior, are inferior. You're thinking about that. And so you're arguing about something that does not even warrant argument. Because in the first place, you don't even understand what God is saying. And then unfortunately, when you think of love, you just think of chocolate and sweets. So now you see, oh, this is another another expression of patriarchy. So the men, all they have to do is love. And we, we have to submit. They get the easy role. <laughs> and that's because you don't know what the Bible teaches. You know, many times, I'm eager to swap roles with women. <laughs> I'll submit. You want to love? Do you know what the Bible says men should do? It's not a joke. It's not Snow White, I promise you. So since it's love semantics, let's begin to break it down. How did Christ love his church? How? We'll examine it. Are you with me? I'll give you three simple points. Number one. He put our interest above his. Are you with me? He did what? 
The Bible says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ. Who did not consider equality with God something to be held onto, meaning he was comfortable, he was God. But he stripped himself of his privileges, took on the form of a servant for your sake. So if God says to love your wives as Christ, it means you will put her interest above yours. That's why Paul says, love your wives as your own flesh. You know, it changes everything. Put her interest above yours. So if there is one car in the house, listen, this is scenario preaching. She has kids. You both have kids, but you know what I mean. <laughs> Who should drive it? Answer now. You are silent now. You have been hearing your voice since. So listen, the, the, this is not a law. If you make this a law, it spoils everything. We're, we're talking about something you do willingly, how you should think. I don't know about you, but somehow, you know, I flex myself as a man by the good stuff my wife does. Do you understand? So I, I like to decorate her with stuff. She's conservative. Do you understand? So I almost have to force her to accept good stuff. Some good stuff. Some good stuff, you know. Like, I, last week I was just saying, ah, this car will be nice on you. She said, I'm not ready for a car. There are many things to do. I said, no, now. I just, that's my wife for you. But anyways, it's something to think about. You see, if you have a wife that is crying for attention, you're not being a good Christian. You don't understand what being a husband is. You put her interest above what? You put men in the house, you put her interest above what? So you are constantly thinking, how can I make sure she's satisfied? Not that you go somewhere from morning to night, 11 p.m., and say, oh, I want pounded yeah. And she even says, oh, pound though. You know, say no. Pounded. You are wicked. Now, when the Bible says Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be held on to, it means in marriage, sometimes you'll be, you should be willing to strip yourself of your privileges. Every man who is always exercising his rights is not in the will of God. I'm telling you, let me shock you. Even though the Bible tells women to submit, the Bible doesn't tell men to enforce submission. Are you aware? It must be something they must do willingly. Women, I'm coming to you, just get ready. I know you're enjoying this part. I'm preaching, have you? I'm coming. Hallelujah. Don't make women submit. Love them to submission. Put them above yourself. Number two. <laughs> this is simple but very important. How did Christ love his church? One simple example. He washed his disciples' feet. Or didn't he? This means I should be willing to cook every now and then. 
Because I am the man of the house does not mean I cannot cook. Listen, no. Why are you I'm hearing murmuring? What's that? <laughs> Did Jesus wash the disciples' feet? Uh-huh. So now he's redefining leadership. As an African man, being the head of the house means you never know what is in the kitchen. But but in the Bible, he's listen, he differentiates, this is semantics, he differentiates leadership in the kingdom from leadership in the world. He said, the Gentiles, they lord it over their subjects. He says, but not you. Here in this kingdom, he, will, he that will be great, let him be the servant of all. So you know how we know you're the husband of the house? When you are constantly trying to outdo your spouse in service. Constantly. For God's sake, once in a while, you know, except you're like me, listen, it's love work for me not to cook. If I cook, we're all dead. <laughs> but, just as, so, it, it depends. Eh? So, so I'm, I, part of the ways I love my wife is not to cook. I must never cook for her. <laughs> but, but, but listen, there's some of you who have that gift. <laughs> Don't worry, bro. I can cook, I can boil water. So, I'm not that bad. Oh, focus, focus, focus. Anyway, just for example, I just want to be honest with you. you know, but there's several other ways, you see. Um, watch the children as often as you can. Bathe for them. You're not, you're, listen, you're not an African man, you're a child of God. So you have a lot of mind renewal to do. And, and find a way to support. Listen, it's almost as if we think women are superheroes. They're doing everything. Watching over the kids, you know. And then you still expect her to be contributing financially. Constantly comparing her to her friends. So how, how do you want her to do that? You know, so just take initiative to make her work easier. You know, you know what? Get her help. Some of us have unrealistic rules. I've seen people who say, no help in this house. You say, my mother, she had no help. Ah, ah. It doesn't work for everybody. Do you understand what I'm saying? So I'm, I'm just saying this. And wives, I'm not asking you to demand these things. Are you listening to me? Men, I'm teaching you initiative. I'm defining love to you. Okay? I'm defining love to you. Besides, some of these things you were doing when you were dating. Now, see, finish has entered. Let's move on. And now, this is the tough part. How did Christ love his church? He loved even when we did not appreciate it. (laughs) Did you hear what I said? And this is the difficult part of roles in marriage. The roles in marriage is not responsive. (laughs) It's revelatory. You are not responding to the way your spouse treats you. You are responding to the revelation of Christ's sacrifice. So he says, love your wives, not because they are lovable. You see, this is the difference between Nollywood and the Bible. In Hollywood or any other wood, you like her hair. You like the shape of her nose. So now you fall in love. 
But Bible love is deeper than that. You are responding, you are demonstrating the love that Christ has for his church to someone. And when the person is acting in a way that you don't like, that is even greater occasion to show the love of Christ. You know what Jesus said when he was teaching on love? He said, if you love those who love you, you are not different from the heathen. That's what he said. He said, even unbelievers love those who love them. So all the things you complain about in marriage, <laughs> easier said than done. Lord, thank you, Lord. Matokopotos. All the things you complain about in marriage are an opportunity for you to demonstrate the love of Christ. Say loud amen. amen. Men in the house, say loud amen. amen. And now let me face the ladies. <laughs> are you ready? The first thing I want to say is this. There is, there's this wrong teaching that has been trending in the body of Christ. You know, the concept of mutual submission. It's not a Bible teaching. It's not. It's a misunderstanding. Listen, there are rules of Bible interpretation. You know, in English, you understand a word with a dictionary. In the Bible, you understand a word in context. Did you, did you hear what I said? So you must study the pretext and the posttext to understand the context. So when the Bible says, submit yourselves one to another, all right? Ephesians 5.21, what was he referring to? You need to study what one to another implies. Does it mean all of us, you submit to me? You, first and foremost, if you understand the Greek word, hypostasis, you know. That it doesn't work with mutual submission. That word is a military term. In the, in the army, the person who is your superior is not necessarily better than you. He doesn't have two heads. But for order, there are ranks. Are you getting what I'm saying? How do you practice mutual submission in army? It doesn't work. So when you study what the Greek word actually means, and I've seen people try to twist it, you know. But anyway, what really justifies this is actually the context. Another principle of Bible interpretation is corroboration. All right, it says, out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, every truth shall be what? So sometimes to understand what the Bible is really saying, see what the Bible has said in other contexts. Let me tell you something. Every good theologian knows you cannot preach the doctrine of mutual submission from only one verse. Only one verse in the entire Bible talks about mutual submission and you want to hold on to that. What about all the other places where he says, wives submit to your husbands? He didn't say husbands submit to your wives. Never. Why? Let me show you what was happening. Look at Colossians chapter 3. Are you in Colossians chapter 3? From verse 18. It says, wives, submit to yourselves, submit to your own husbands as fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter against them. Children, obey your parents in all things. This is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they be discouraged. Born servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh. So now, he teaches submission in three spheres. Wives to husbands, children to parents, Servants to masters. Did you get that? Now, let's go back to Ephesians and see what he taught. 
The reason why a lot of people don't see that he, he did the same thing to the church at Ephesus is because um, the Ephesians account is more expansive. But when he said in verse 21, Submit yourself, submitting yourselves one to another, he begins to define one to another. Wives to husbands, children to parents, servants to masters. You see it now. So now he begins to talk about wives in verse 22, right? Now go to chapter 6 verse 1. What does this say in chapter 6 verse 1? Ephesians chapter 6 verse 1. Read together one to go. What does it say in chapter 6 verse 5? Chapter 6 verse 5. One to go. So now the flow of thought is this. When he said one to another, he was talking about these three spheres of biblical submission. He wasn't talking about all of us. There are three reasons why the, def the, the popular teaching on mutual submission is wrong. Let me clarify my thoughts. Number one, because it doesn't flow with the context. Number two, it cannot be corroborated. You don't see Paul teach it in any other book. Instead, clearly, it says, wives, submit to your husbands. Number three, the meaning, the root meaning of the word hypostasis, translated submission, cannot suggest mutual submission. And you know why this is very important? Because of the many symptoms of a fallen human, one of the symptoms, particularly for women, is to reject God's order in marriage. The Bible clearly says that. So in Genesis chapter 3, I'm going to go to the doctrine then, and then we'll move from that. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, God said, I'll put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. It shall bruise his head, and it shall bruise his heel. And unto the woman, he says, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In sorrow, you shall bring forth children, and your desire shall be to your husband, and he shall rule over thee. Now, many people think God cursed women with submission. I've also heard that teaching, and, and now we're in Christ, so there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in. But this wasn't a curse. It was an instruction. I'll prove it to you. I wish, you know, we could take the Hebrew words and, you know, explain what it actually means. But here is an advantage we have. The same construction was used in the next chapter. In the next chapter, Cain was about to kill Abel. He was angry, and God came to him and said, Why are you angry? If you do well, will you not be accepted? Genesis chapter 4. And he said, Sin is lying at your door. Genesis chapter 4, verse 7. He says, And unto you shall his desire be, but you shall rule over him. What was God saying? Sin is lying at your door, trying to use up authority over you. He says, but put sin in his place. Sin is trying to get you to kill Abel, to use up authority. Sin is trying to use up authority against your will, but put sin in his place. So, bearing that in mind, what was God saying? He said, because of the fall, the women will try to use up authority in the home. He says, but God's standard 
for leadership remains the same. That's what God was saying. What does submission mean? It means to yield your will to the will of another. It does not mean that everything your husband says is correct. It does not even mean that you have to agree with him on everything. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't try to influence his decisions, which sometimes will be foolish. I'm speaking from experience. So what does it mean? It means that for the purpose of a home, there is one ultimate vision which God has said the man will spearhead. It does not mean that the man must always put the woman under. I've said it time and again. You must think about your children. If you earn 100K, your wife gets a job in, seven, in Abuja for 700K. Pack your load. All of you move to Abuja. Go and support her. Are you listening to me? But I'm saying when it all comes down to it, there must be one vision as a home spearheaded by the man. Meaning, you must be ready to sacrifice personal agenda for the good of the home. Personal agenda. Because if you try to go your own way, he goes his own way, the home will scatter. Please, are you listening to me? Are you listening to me? I thought about something as I was preparing this sermon. Something very interesting that happened in school. My wife, who then was just a friend, was supposed to be the female leader of the, what was the student council in school. They, they wanted her to be female chairperson. And she turned it down. And I remember very well, you know, um, the vice chancellor of blessed memory called her to a room and spoke to her for a long time. What do you mean you don't want to do this? You, you know, and she's, what she said was simple. God already had given her an assignment which in the eyes of men was not a big thing, just to go from orphanage to orphanage, giving people food. Nobody will see you doing that. Nobody is going to clap for you. But because of her commitment to what God had asked her to do, which was smaller, she was ready to sacrifice what people thought was bigger. Are you getting what I'm saying? Now, that's what submission is. And a woman who knows that in her relationship with the Lord will know that in marriage. And so it was that kind of rehearsal that prepared us. You know, now you think about Celebration Church, all that God has used us to do. There is something you may not know. When God said to go to Abuja, my wife was about to resume her doctorate degree. You know, it's one thing to look at, at us on the outside and say, wow, powerful couple. You don't know the sacrifice that I've gone. <laughs> you, you understand? So now I'm telling you, it's not just about the glamour. And just PLDL and then pastor is doing his own side with church and music. There is a lot of sacrifice. And so she said, you know, God asked you to go to Abuja. I will suspend this indefinitely. I'm going with you. Now that's it. So listen, in submission for the corporate goal, I am ready to yield my privileges, my... In, my my influence, just so that we can run one vision as a home. And let me tell you something. It is not weakness, it is strength. 
two of the greatest men in the Old Testament, Samson and Solomon. Nobody could conquer them. But a woman, <laughs> you don't understand. You think submission is weak. Bring a thousand soldiers to Samson. See if he will prevail. Bring two thousand. Bring five thousand. He doesn't need a weapon. We just look at the floor. Jawbone of an ass. Slaughter everybody. They, they had no answer for him. But Delilah, hello, Sam. <laughs> Lie down here. What, what's the secret of your power? You don't, listen, don't let anybody lie. Nothing disarms a man like submission. <laughs> God knows what he's doing. You, how, how else do you stand against Samson? How else do you stand against Solomon? He had too much wit, too much wisdom. Too much, you, you can't stand against him. But women, <laughs> he forgot his God. He forgot. Maybe this is why God is asking you guys, ladies, to submit because you are so powerful. You need to understand the kind of power that you have. Listen. Should we talk about the first Adam? Should we go there? All this problem, all the problem in the world, if you trace the root cause of Russia, Ukraine conflict, now on Astata, the root cause, forget what the media is saying, it's women. That's where it all started. <laughs> Listen, you guys are so powerful. That it doesn't matter what you, you say, it doesn't matter what a man has said with God. <laughs> Listen, and this is this is why partnership in marriage is very important. Because if you chop the fruit, we go chop them. Not, <laughs> not we go, we don't chop them. Yeah, we're not here. Do you understand? So this is why we embrace the wisdom of God. Listen, submission is powerful. And this is, you can't possibly be a Christian and have disdain for submission. That the greatest demonstration of power ever known to man was not the conquest of some great soldier, but the sacrifice of the Son of God. Are you listening to me? The Bible says, as a sheep before the sheriff is dumb, he opened not his mouth. That's our example. In the kingdom, he that is a servant is the greatest. Don't let the media deceive you. It is a powerful place to be. Are you getting what I'm saying? It is not subjugation, it is power under control. It takes a powerful woman to submit. It doesn't matter how strong a man is. A woman who understands what I'm saying. <laughs> the fighting doesn't work. Haven't you figured out already? Am I talking to a married woman? Does the fighting work? If you... Should we close? And we, we really have to close now. But it all boils down to this. You have to trust the Lord. His wisdom is higher than us. It's higher than ours. All right? 
And he's the one who designed marriage. Trust is design. These are three reasons, uh, three ways that what the Bible teaches about the role of women is different from the patriarchy in our society. First and foremost, it says, women, submit yourselves to your own husbands. Please say own. So, the man on the street that is trying to subjugate every woman out there is not following the Bible. The argument about patriarchy is an, an argument for a different day, but that's not biblical marriage. Please, are you listening to me? So, you are not to submit to all men. The Bible is clear. The Bible actually really tells us that we are all one in Christ. There is no Jew, nor Greek, no bond, nor free, no male or female. We are all one in Christ. So he's not talking about superiority. He's talking about roles for the establishment of God's counsel in a home. Come on, is that clear? And number two, you have to understand that this Jesus in the first place, he broke all the rules in his society. See, when his own disciples saw him talking to the woman, the Samaritan woman, they were shocked. Because even a Samaritan man, a Jew won't talk to him, let alone a woman. The rules were so funny in those days that a woman's testimony was not admissible in court. She had no voice. But of all the people to announce the resurrected Christ, the first person that saw the resurrected Christ was a woman. He had women following him, you know, ministering to him, partnering with him. This is someone who believed very well in the ministry of women. At the cross, when all the disciples had run away, women were there. Are you getting what I'm saying? So when he says women submit, he's not telling you to be subjugated. He's talking about the ultimate wisdom of God in his design for marriage. And it's beautiful. It's beautiful. And when men play their role, when women play their role, marriage will be beautiful. It will typify and mirror the union between Christ and his church. Please rise to your feet. Thank you for listening. We are sure that you have been blessed. For inquiries, reach us on our helpline 0809-996-7000. Blessings.